Good morning. Romans 1, uh, verse 28 says this, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Happy Sunday to you all. (laughs) Galatians 5, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. James 3, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it. Or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not or boast. It's not arrogant or rude, it doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Yes, you're in church, not at a wedding ceremony. <laughs> if you're a guest uh, with us today, thanks for taking time to be with us. We um, are currently in the middle of the series, teaching through the seven deadly sins, because we love to have a good time in God's house. Uh, and in the first week of the series, I mentioned that these seven deadly sins were first articulated somewhere back in the fourth century, um, but have continued to be a part of church vernacular all the way up to the present time. And in this list of seven sins, it's not, it's not some magic list. Jesus didn't etch this in stone for us to focus on. Uh, that's not the story. But it is a list that connects with some of the deeper issues in all of our hearts. Uh, it resonates. And it's not been, I'll tell you this, it's not been a comfortable series. Can anybody testify to that? As we've walked through these different topics, I don't think any of us has been like, oh man, I just felt, felt so warm and fuzzy this morning. Um, yet hopefully, as we've engaged these topics, we've drawn close to Jesus. That's, that's the whole goal. Uh, the point is to draw close, to recognize that we need Jesus because these things are true. Uh, of what's going on underneath. The seven deadly sins uh, are, are not being discussed to make you feel bad about yourself <laughs> or to feel any source of shame. No one needs more of that in their lives. Amen? We're simply hungry to address what's true and find the Lord in the middle of it. So far, we've covered the fun, deadly sins of lust, gluttony, greed, and anger. And from the scriptures I just read, any guesses on the topic for today? Envy. envy. Let's say that again. Everyone say envy. envy. Kind of got to say it like envy or something. I don't know. <laughs> the dictionary defines envy this way. A painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another joined with a desire to possess the same advantage. Here's the truth for us today. We live in a world uniquely and intentionally designed to make envy an increasing problem in our lives. I'm currently 
coaching my nine-year-old who's with us this morning on this reality. We uh, enjoy watching football together, right? And uh, whenever we're watching football, as you know, the, there's lots of commercials. And whenever a commercial comes on, I've shared this before, I ask my son a question. And the question is, what are they trying to get you to do, Zeke? I'm sure he loves the fact that I ask this question every time we watch football together. Um, but now he can articulate that, that, what are they trying to get you to do when you see an advertisement? Yeah. <laughs> They're trying to get you to want something or to buy something. My parents did something similar to me. Uh, whenever I would bring something to my parents that I had to have or I would die, they would say to me, is this a want or a need? Is this a want or a need? Maybe you had parents or grandparents that did something similar in your life. There's a difference between wants and needs, isn't there? The problem is the world we live in is, is working really hard to blur the line between these two things. And it's extremely successful at doing this because of something that lurks in every single one of our hearts. Envy. That's why they're successful. Because envy is underneath the surface. It's this painful awareness of something being enjoyed by someone else that you don't personally possess, but you want it. This could be a, this could be a position. This could be a, something material. This could be power or influence. This could be looks. This, I mean, anything where you look and go, gosh, they have it. I don't have it. I want it. <sighs> Friends, every time you pick up your phone or you look at your social media, you'll be confronted with envy. You will be. Every time you turn on your TV or students as you walk through the school and you see your peers have certain clothes or certain things that they do on the weekend, you'll, you'll have envy kind of stirred up within you. When you're at work and your coworkers are sharing their story about where they traveled during the weekend or what car they just bought, you're going to have envy spurred up with inside of you. Oh, I wish I could have that. It's this constant war that's waged. I love Proverbs. It says, describes it this way, Proverbs 14. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. We could just go home now. Just take, just make that a memory verse for this week. Tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. It just eats away at the core of who we are. And it's not just a, a Christian conversation. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you know, you can look at some of the scriptures. We, we're trying to submit our life to the word of God. You can look at the scriptures and go, of course, we don't want envy in our life. But even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you look at envy and go, this is destructive. There's something wrong with this. I want to show you a, a short clip from a BBC episode in 2021 titled, Has Social Media Created the Ultimate Age of Envy? Let's watch this together real quick. It seems to me to be a certain irony in the way that we blind ourselves to our own feelings of envy, given how closely envy is often linked to sight. Thank you. 
which is blessed, usually is fathered by angels. But perhaps the fact that social media platforms such as Facebook and Instagram become so image-focused is what in part makes them so effective at stirring envy within us. But are they making decisions about how to present ourselves to others? What social media allows us to do with filters and the ability to take multiple snapshots is just really accelerate this process, put it on steroids, so to speak. Yeah, one thing I'll tell you, there are definitely guilty of this type of creation. I mean, looking back, I wonder why I have such empty, identical photos of my daughter, searching for that ideal image when, of course, each one was perfectly its own right. I often only post about the days out I had where the weather was great and everything was super dear. I don't post about the panting, barking, and fearful shepherds for that photo's attention. So I often think about social media as a place where we make envy landmines in front of us. We don't always know when we're going to get that bit of envy, right? And I think that is what makes it so pernicious to a certain degree. It's not just what triggers our envy, it's social media's power, but who we envy too. For me, it's never the secret enemy to stir up that uncomfortable feeling in myself. Close friends move marginally bigger than my own house, finish infinitely more, just eat their holiday-only space, and there's a good reason for this. And one of the easiest parts of posting your fast life are someone else's helpful thoughts reflected on you in yourselves. And that's really only true for people who are otherwise quite comparable to ourselves. And who do we tend to fill our social media feeds with most? Friends, family, colleagues. We have essentially created a giant envy echo chamber. Giant envy echo chambers. <laughs> Is that not the truth, though? I mean, does this video resonate? I mean, you watch this and go, huh, yikes. Uh, if that hasn't happened to you yet, I'll give you one more example. We'll try one more angle. Uh, there's a couple of websites and apps that uh, are brilliant at cultivating envy in our hearts. Two websites that I've been frequently going to more recently because my kids are getting bigger and we're running out of space. Maybe you know these websites, Zillow and Redfin. <laughs> right? You get on Zillow and you just see what's out there. You see what somebody else is enjoying or what you could get that's better than what you have, right? It just stirs up envy. So now that we've connected to this concept, let's turn to Genesis chapter 4, the beginning of your Bible. We'll look at an example of this playing out in Scripture. Genesis chapter 4, only four chapters into the Scriptures, we have a prime example of the destructive nature of envy. And I would argue this is actually a third example of envy in the Scriptures. I, I think envy is connected to Adam and Eve desiring something uh, that pulled them away from the things of God. I, I think envy was uh, maybe why the serpent was in the garden in the first place. He wanted to be God himself. And so it didn't take long as we get into chapter 4 for sin, the impact of sin, to ripple through creation. Here's, here's chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock 
and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. I'm going to stop here for a minute. There's there's a lot of debate uh, amongst scholars on what's actually happening in this text. Is, Is God showing a level of favoritism to Abel and not Cain? Uh, some would argue that that Abel brought his best to God and Cain didn't bring his best to God. Some some would argue in this text that this is just a matter of birthright, like it makes sense, it was appropriate for the firstborn to be acknowledged. Um, this debate's been going on for centuries. We're not going to solve that together this morning. But I want to look at how God talks to Cain. How does God address Cain? Because I think it sheds some light on envy and this insidious nature of envy. Verse 6, continuing the story. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So God has this conversation with Cain and and he reminds him of his own responsibility in the relationship. Cain's mad at God for what he was doing with Abel. The text says that he got angry and his face fell. On on some level, he looked at what God did and went, there's something unjust or unright. It's not fair what's happening here. But when God addresses him, he doesn't even bring up Abel in the address. Instead, he addresses Cain personally with an encouragement and a warning. He says, listen, Cain, if you keep your heart right before me, it's going to go well. And and if you don't, destruction is just waiting around the corner for you. Now, for those of you that know the story of Cain and Abel, how well did it go? Not well. He doesn't respond, and in a a few verses, he meets with his brother in a field and kills him. That's things not going well. This is an extreme example, but it goes to show what happens when envy uh, gets a foothold in our hearts. When envy goes unaddressed in our lives, it always manifests itself in our relationships with others. In a negative way. It always ends bad relationally. I think the story of Cain and Abel is helpful because uh, it reminds us that envy is not, not just something to work out between one another on earth. But God is actually involved in the conversation. There's, there's a perspective towards how God is involved or not involved in what's happening in our lives. Envy at its core deeply involves God. Listen to this quote from a British theologian, Graham Tomlin. He says, this is always the way envy works. It never starts with the object of envy. It starts with a shake of the fist at the skies, a frustration with the gods, a deep feeling of injustice. Why has God not given me what I want, I need, I deserve? Only then is Cain's anger directed at Abel a more tangible and visible target for his fury. So so envy, it it really at its core, is us 
shaking our fist at God saying, I deserve more than what I have. Or I deserve more than what that person has. <laughs> it's a frustration with God. Like Adam and Eve, we get duped into thinking that, that somehow we're better off being in charge. And we follow this destructive pattern and it never ends well. We've said this just about every week, but it's a heart issue, right? All of these things are a heart issue. Envy, envy is something that grows uh, in the soil of an unsurrendered heart. It, it takes root, and it grows, and it produces nasty fruit. And you see this as you walk through the story of, of creation and, and the fall and, and Cain and Abel and the flood and the Tower of Babel. What you see throughout all of these stories is, is the human heart and humanity battling against their desire to be their own God. Envy has this core, this thread that weaves itself all the way through actually the whole narrative of the Bible. And I think it's helpful the picture that God gave to Cain. That, that man, if, if, if you don't guard your heart, something is crouching, sin is crouching, just waiting to devour you. It's such a big deal, by the way, envy is such a big deal that it makes God's top ten list in Exodus 20. Did you know that? When God organizes his people after delivering them from slavery, he gives them a list of commandments, the, the Ten Commandments. You're familiar with the Ten Commandments. Number ten is this, Exodus 20, you shall not covet, which is another term for envy, your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So, so God, in his desire to organize his people once again after delivering them from slavery into a community that trusts him and loves him and loves each other, he starts by saying, hey, listen, remember that there's only one God. These are the Ten Commandments. There's only one God and, and I'm, it's me. And then he says, uh, hey, don't try to create other images that that kind of represent me, because if you try to do that, you're going to create problems. Uh, so don't create other images. Uh, don't take my name in vain. Don't do that. Honor the Sabbath. You're human beings, not human doings. Honor your parents. That's a good one, too. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't, don't steal. Don't lie. Hopefully you'll read that list and go, this makes sense. If you do these things, it's bad for a community. Uh, if you don't do these things, it's actually good. At the end of this list, it says, don't envy. Don't envy. It's destructive. It rots the bones, as we read earlier. It runs against, envy runs against the grain of what God wants for us, desires for us. So, so what, do we, what do we do with all this? We've built the case for what envy is and how it functions, where we see it in the scriptures. But, but think about your own life. What does this mean for us today in 2023? What does this mean for you today as you walk out the doors? I think the first question to ask really is, uh, is there envy in my life? Can you identify this in your own story? Do you have envy? And maybe, maybe it's kind of secretly lurked and you just haven't paid attention to it. Maybe it's there where you're, where you're always looking at what's happening in the lives of other people. 
where, where maybe you've become distracted with what's happening in the lives of others, or maybe you've become consumed with wanting something that somebody else has that you don't have. And in that process, maybe you've lost sight of your own value and your own purpose before God. You've become so interested in what's going on in somebody else's life that your relationship with the Lord, you haven't accepted and trusted that that's, that's what He has for you. Maybe you've been holding on to frustration with God. God, why does this person have that? Why does this person who doesn't even seem to know you or trust you, why are they blessed? Blessed? <laughs> why do they have things and yet here I am struggling? The first step to any sort of healing with any of these areas is to just accept the truth. It's, it's to practice confession. Lord, envy has a hold on me. This is true of me, God. Rescue me and save me from this. I, I, I need you to, to heal me. And, and your friends can't do this for you. Your spouse can't do this for you. Your grandparents, whoever drug you to church today, they can't do it for you. This is a, this is a conversation between you and the Lord. To bring it before God and say, help. Help. Is there envy in your life today? The second uh, encouragement for us is to foster kindness in your heart. Uh, now, I'll be honest, uh, this kindness is the, the virtue that goes with envy. And when I was reading into this, I was confused by that. Like, I read kindness and envy, they didn't seem to go together. I was like, shouldn't it be like, shouldn't it be like generosity or something? Like, if I want something from somebody else, don't you think that gener- being generous is the opposite of that? But I started to think through my own life. There's plenty of times where I'm, I can be very, very generous and incredibly envious at the same time. So, so you can't, we can't approach these different sins with some sort of effort to conquer them through our behavior. I'll explain this in a second. The reality is, we need to be saved from from these sins. And this is true for all of them. It's not through our focused effort. This series that we've been doing, this hasn't been an effort to um, diagnose problems in the heart so that you can leave here and put work in to solve the problem that you have just recognized. That's religion. The, the goal isn't to... I, I can kind of get into that in my walk with the Lord, right? When you're walking with the Lord, well, if I can just know what the problem is, then I'll fix it for you and we'll be good, God. You ever live like that before the Lord? Or gotten so frustrated with yourself and God because you see things in your life that you know are off and you try to address them and fix them in your own strength only to fail and then you shake your fist at God again. This series is simply about acknowledging that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. Amen? That's why we gather in His name, because He's been so gracious to us, and we confess that we need Him. There's only one way to deal with sin in our lives. Any guesses? Jesus. Always the right answer in church. (laughs) It's Jesus. So here's how it relates to kindness, being the virtue connected to envy. 
kindness is actually a byproduct of putting our trust in Jesus. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So kindness is something that when we're submitted and surrendered, when we're trusting Jesus with our lives, we don't have to work hard at being kind. Kindness flows from us. That's why I use the term foster kindness. It's, it's entrusting the Lord that we begin to operate in kindness and desire to bless others than get what others have. When we walk with Jesus, when we trust that He's our provision and our protection, when He's our hope and He's our caretaker and He's the one that guides us, we actually have everything that we need. We don't need something that somebody else has because in Christ, we are complete, we are whole, we we have all that we need in Him. There's no need to experience a painful, resentful awareness of an advantage somebody else has. I have all that I need in Jesus. I read an article this week that says, Kindness cures envy by placing the desire to help others above the need to supersede them. I thought that was good. Be- because of God's kindness towards us in Christ, we are empowered to walk in His fullness and provision. Anybody here need to be reminded this morning that there's an abundant grace and kindness over your life. You lack nothing in Christ. That He sees you, He knows you, He loves you. He's the shepherd and caretaker of your soul. All the things that you long for and desire that you think are going to be found somewhere in this world are actually found in Him. Do you need to be reminded of that today? That that He has what you need. That He can make you whole. He, he, can, he can bring you peace. <laughs> if you're caught in the grip of envy, all I can say is come to Jesus. <laughs> it seems simple, but it's kind of hard sometimes to just say, Jesus, this is happening in my life. Rescue me today. Worship team, you guys can come join me. I'll uh, close with this. This past week, uh, our staff, we went down to Everett uh, to attend our, our district conference. Um, our church is a part of a movement of churches. Uh, it sounds like... <laughs> I won't go there. <laughs> uh, anyway... Uh, a group of churches that spans uh, the globe, Foursquare spans the globe, but we're organized locally into districts. And our district of churches includes Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, North Dakota, Wyoming, and Alaska. And so at our district conference, pastors and leaders from all of those states come together to be encouraged and to worship and to be challenged in, in all of those those things. Once a year, we do that. Uh, and if I'm honest, I have a, a kind of a love-hate relationship with these gatherings um, because they're such a blessing, but they tend to reveal what's going on in my heart, which is kind of what happens when we come to church. And sometimes it's why we avoid church, because when we walk into the church, we have to work on the things God is asking us to work on. And so, funny enough, this week I was confronted with envy <laughs> at our district conference. Um, 
And I noticed that as I was sitting there listening to the testimonies and the stories of pastors and leaders across our movement, because at a district conference, you're getting the best of the best. You know, we're highlighting the best things that are going on. And so you look at that and go, huh, well, what about what's going on with us? And there's amazing things happening here, by the way. This isn't to discredit what God is doing here, but that's what envy does in your heart. I started going, well, what, man, what about this? And and it started to dig at me. And we were at a church, actually the church that I came from, to come up to here. And I started looking around at this church and, you know, envy starts to get a hold of me. Mm. Envy created this dissonance in my heart. And like in the process, I'm getting ready to preach a message on envy. And I'm like, come on. But that's just it. Like, I don't want to be disconnected from God over something silly like envy. It's a reality in my life, but I want to stomp it out this morning. Anybody else? I don't want to be consumed by it. I don't want it to drive me or or distract me. Envy's dumb. It's dumb and it's destructive. And I'm just confessing before you guys this morning, I just need to surrender today. Jesus, I, I need you to rescue me from these things in my heart that can get a hold of me. And if, if it resonates with you, if, if it's got a hold of you, I would just encourage you today, let's come to Jesus together. Let's come to Jesus together. Hey, do me a favor. We're going to enter. Will you stand to your feet? I'm going to pray for us. And If the Lord is speaking to you this morning in that way, I just ask you to put your hands out in front of you as, as I pray for us. God, you know our hearts better than we know our hearts. And it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. So, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and do a work within us that we can't do on our own. That you would come and fill us up, overflowing, that you would fill us with your goodness and your grace and and remove these types of desires that draw us away from trusting you wholly and completely. Make us whole today. Lord, thank you that you know us and that you are incredibly faithful and kind towards us in Christ. That we have all that we need today in you. Strengthen us to trust you. We pray this in your name. Amen.